Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey there, I'm Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, there's this one time that we were coming home to Illinois from a road trip that we had taken to the East Coast. It's a long trip, and I found myself driving in the middle of the night while everyone else in the car was sleeping. Now, this was in the 90s, so we didn't have GPS at the time, no smartphones. All I had was an atlas and some printed out directions from MapQuest. And neither of those things had a voice that was telling me when I was supposed to turn. So I was super focused on all of the interstate signs because when we hit Columbus, Ohio, we had to take I-70 and I did not want to miss it. So when we hit the city, I was watching signs carefully until I finally saw the sign for I-70 and I took the exit. So I knew we were gonna be on this interstate for like three hours. So I turned on music and I just went on autopilot. I wasn't really paying attention to any of the road signs anymore because I didn't need to. I mean, we were gonna be on this road for a long time. Well, after about an hour and a half of driving, I needed to go to the bathroom. So I started looking for a gas station until finally I saw a sign that pointed to an exit that was about a mile ahead on I-70 East. I was totally relieved until I realized that I was on I-70 East, not I-70 West. I'd been driving back towards where we came from for like an hour and a half. I was so focused on getting onto the right interstate that when I found it, I went the wrong direction. Sometimes we can be so focused on something that's important that we miss something else that's more important. We can miss the forest for the trees. And that's exactly where we find the disciples in Matthew chapter seven. So for background, Peter, James, and John have just seen the transfiguration of Jesus. This is a weird story, but they go up to a mountaintop and up there Jesus started to glow like the sun before Moses and Elijah, two men who had lived hundreds of years before, appeared and started talking to Jesus. And then God spoke to them all, telling them that they needed to listen to Jesus. So that's a lot. I would encourage you to check out last week's message for more detail. But that's what happened right before we pick up in Matthew 17, 9. And this is how the story goes. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? So coming down from the mountaintop, the disciples who'd been with Jesus, they're trying to make sense of everything that had just happened. And they're confused about something. Why was Elijah there? So to understand their confusion about Elijah, we need to understand how the Jewish people saw the coming of the Messiah. And, and we need to understand the predictable series of events that they were expecting to happen before the Messiah came. And Elijah was very important to this chain of events because they believed that he was going to return before the Messiah to herald his coming. And there was a reason for this that we can find in something that the prophet Malachi said in Malachi 4.5. He wrote, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. So for the Jewish people, they read this prophecy in Malachi. The mysterious return of Elijah was one in a predictable series of events that was ultimately going to lead to the coming of the Messiah, which helps us understand the confusion of the disciples in this story. They thought Jesus was the Messiah, but they'd just seen Elijah on the mountain during the transfiguration, which means that the Messiah was there before Elijah was. 
And so this series of events didn't line up, which led to the disciples asking this question. They're like, Jesus, if you're the Messiah and you were here before Elijah, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? That's not a terrible question to ask in this context, but the story continues. Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized, and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. And then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. So Jesus answers their question in a way that seems strange to us. But it would make perfect sense to the disciples. Jesus explains to them that Elijah had already come and that Elijah was John the Baptist. Now, again, for us, this is strange because John the Baptist is John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. But in the ancient world, it was a commonly held belief that the spirit or ghost of someone who had died could inhabit and even take over the body of someone who was alive, particularly if the ghost or spirit was that of a very righteous person. And so the spirit of Elijah uh, inhabiting John the Baptist, it wouldn't have been that strange to the disciples. They wouldn't have thought it was that weird of an idea. And there were other things that connected John to Elijah. I mean, look at how Elijah was described in 2 Kings verse 1-8. It says that he had a garment of hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. Okay, now let's look at a description of John the Baptist from the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 3-4, it says... John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. I mean, you can look at this, and you can see these direct comparisons and these direct similarities. And all of this would have been a huge deal for the disciples. Jesus is now confirmed as the Messiah by centuries-old prophecy that Elijah would have come before him. This was stuff the Jewish people had been watching and waiting for, a glorious confirmation that their Savior had finally come. Jesus is the one, and now there can be no doubt. This is another sign that the disciples were looking for to point them to the right interstate. They'd finally reached the road that was going to take them to their destination. But there was something else in all of this, something the disciples overlooked in all of their efforts to make sense of, of these glorious things that were happening around them. So let's, let's take a look at this story again. And we're going to go back to Matthew 17, 9 through 13. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? And Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized and they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. And then the disciples realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. So tucked into this story of Jesus are some things that Jesus said that the disciples completely overlooked. There were some statements about the kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be. That he was going to be a Messiah who's going to suffer and die. How did the disciples miss this? I mean, look at how they glossed over this. After the transfiguration, Jesus says he's going to die and be raised from the dead. And, and what are the disciples wondering about? They're wondering about Elijah and why his appearance didn't fit the messianic timeline. 
And after Jesus says that he's gonna suffer, all the disciples can think about is how cool it is that John the Baptist is Elijah. They saw these big glorious moments, but they almost completely ignored Jesus's predictions of his suffering and death. They saw the glory of Jesus, but they missed the suffering of Jesus. And what's interesting about all this is that Jesus had already been bringing the contrast between his glory and his suffering into focus over and over. Look in Matthew 16, 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Glory. Jesus confirms that he's the Messiah. Go ahead, Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Suffering. Immediately, after, immediately following Jesus' confirmation that he's the Messiah is his own description of the suffering and death that he's going to face. Glory and suffering, hand in hand. Look at this other one in Matthew 17 too. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. We looked at this one last week. And what is it? It's glory. Jesus is transfigured and he's confirmed by God himself to be the one his people are supposed to listen to, to be the one who's going to save them. But go ahead to Matthew 17, 9. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Suffering. Jesus is going to die, and he's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be raised from the dead, but still he's going to be killed. And then look at our passage today. I mean, Elijah has already come, confirming again that Jesus is the Messiah. It's glory. But Jesus is going to die like John the Baptist did. Suffering. We'll even see this theme repeated again in the passage that we're going to look at next week. See, the disciples were right about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, but they were wrong about what kind of Messiah he was going to be. Even though Jesus had explicitly said it, right interstate, wrong direction. How did they miss this? Well, sometimes when we hear these stories, we can look at the disciples and we can think, oh my gosh, they are so stupid. And if it would have been me, I would have been really listening to what Jesus said and I would not have been such a dummy. But we can also be that kind of stupid. We can also be on the right interstate but go in the wrong direction. In fact, we often go the wrong direction in the exact same ways the disciples did. I mean, I'm gonna give you some examples. Look, after the first time that Jesus said he was going to die, what did Peter do? He said, hold on, Jesus, that's not how this thing is going to go. You're going to be the new king of Israel after we overthrow the Roman government. So you need to cut it out with all this dying nonsense. Peter wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to do it his way, through politics and force. And we see that all over the church today. This unholy alliance of religion and politics that we saw in the Christian flags that were being raised over the January 6th insurrection, or that we see in the banning of books, or that we see in the passing of laws that force Christian morality on people, or laws that damage and isolate marginalized people. Right road, wrong direction. Or how about the transfiguration? When Peter said, hey, let's build some monuments and shelters to this moment 
so that we can just stay up here and live in this glory. Let's just stay up on this mountaintop forever and never go down. We see that also all over the church today. Christians who just want to live in the shiny presence of God with their long emotional worship services and their extended experiences at the altar, who want to stay huddled up in their churches with their Christian music, their Christian movies, Christian books, Christian board games. They're all clumped together in their holy huddle, far away from the sinners who could lead them or their children astray. Or how about when the disciples were so focused on figuring out the theological mystery of Elijah that they completely missed Jesus talking about his suffering and his death. And Jesus did it twice. We see that all over the church today. People who think the kingdom of God is, is just about understanding the deep secrets of the Bible, who are obsessed with the end times and biblical prophecies so that they can know who the Antichrist is and they can avoid taking the mark of the beast, all while trying to keep a one-world government from happening. The people who spend so much time in, in Holy Spirit classes and in seminars on teaching them how to prophesy and on theology, eschatology, soteriology, pneumatology, and, and all of those other ologies that they can't even see Jesus for who he is anymore. They see him as some mystic, mystic creature being hiding puzzle pieces to the spiritual secrets of the universe that only the true seekers can uncover. But Jesus is not a partisan political activist. He's not a religious isolationist. He's not a mystic shaman who's divvying out spiritual knowledge, which means that to follow him correctly, to make sure that we are going in the right direction, we need to do something. We need to seek Jesus as he is, not how we wish he was. Jesus is a suffering servant. He's God in the form of a man who suffered and died for the good of many. And to play our part in his kingdom, we need to see him as he is and follow where he himself leads along the way of the cross, the way of love, sacrifice, and service to others. My hope for us is that we could see the things that are keeping us from actually seeing Jesus as he is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with politics or theology or Christian entertainment, but we can't confuse those things with the way of Jesus. His way leads to a cross, to the way of a suffering servant, putting aside our own wants, needs, and desires for the good of others. And may that love be what defines us as a church and as individuals, as we seek Jesus as he is, not just how we wish he was. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.